Hey, welcome to Prefer Not To, a weekly sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Josh and Kate and my wife, Laura. Every week, Kate and I, and sometimes my wife, Laura, have a cocktail, take out a movie or something, read a letter to the editor, talk a little bit about TV and such, maybe give a recommendation, send you on your way on less than an hour. Hey, Laura, how are things? Pretty good. Every day is pretty much the same for me. (laughs) Well, it is. Yeah. You know, with most people, like, every day is pretty much the same would be a bad thing. But, but getting, I think with you. You're getting a new class, right? We talked. Laura's a preschool teacher, and she's about to get a new class. Are you excited? Uh, yeah. I mean, it won't be till the halfway through July that I get the new class. Oh, okay. Then never mind. <laughs> Shut up and stop talking. So, Kate. Yes. What are we drinking this week? We're having mojitos. All right. Well, before we get into the mojitos, I want to give our standard disclaimers. The first of which is that neither Kate nor Laura nor I is a cocktail expert. And we'll probably mess up your favorite drink at some point during the course of making our show. And we're sorry for it. And we will endeavor to do better. And if we do mess up your drink, please let us know and contact us. Uh, The second thing is that alcoholism is a serious condition, like Kindbox disease and Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease. And if you had either of those, you'd go to a physician. And so you should do that also if you have alcoholism. Wait, Kindbox? Like a box that is kind? Kind. Kine, like spell it. It's a guy's name, K-I-E-N. It might be Keenbach. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh. So it's one of those diseases that's named after the creator. I mean, yes. the creator. <laughs> the the, the no, discoverer. It's not, no, it's not y- Yahweh syndrome. <laughs> so what is it? I, I am that I am disease. Uh, Keenbach's? Yes. Kindbach's? It's a condition in which one of the bones in your wrist uh, has necrotized due to a lack of blood. Ouch. Either due to an injury or some sort of anatomical abnormality. Is it common? It's not uncommon, but uh, that's what it is. Okay. And that would sound like it would hurt, wouldn't it? It sounds like you would need to see a doctor for that. Yep. My dad had a necrotized bone in his ankle. Ew. And what about the shark tooth one? Uh, The Charcot Marie tooth? Shark tooth. Yeah, shark tooth. That's a uh, hereditary form of peripheral peripheral neuropathy where you uh, have loss of sensation to some degree or another in your hands and feet. And it is congenital, so there will be whole families with it. Are there Aww. any like famous families, like royal families? I couldn't like, with find Habsburgs? a famous family. Although there is a documentary out there called Bernadette, a small one, uh, about a family with them, with Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease. So is it either the hands or the feet, or is it like one strain is most no, the it's feet? No, it's both, or... I think. Yeah. Oh. And I think it varies in degree. Sometimes, some of the people that had really sort of stunted hands because they couldn't actually get any muscle development because they couldn't move their fingers to some degree or other. Some people have to wear orthotics in their shoes to walk. And... Is this like oh. a from birth thing, or does it develop over My time? My understanding is that it, it uh, is congenital, but that it doesn't present until different stages in life for some oh. people. So. so you would like lose the ability to... like. Move your fingers, or or it would get progressively worse. Worse, yeah. It's like it used to be classified as a form of muscular dystrophy, I believe. Sounds terrifying. So, yeah, I think it has to do with the demyelinization of nerves, like multiple sclerosis and things like that. So okay, I think well, it is similar to those, and apparently it affects one in twenty five hundred people. I would go see a doctor for that as well. Right, and so you would if you were an alcoholic. And you don't need to have a drink to enjoy our show. In fact, my wife often doesn't because she won't drink it if it doesn't have bubbles. And in fact, having a drink probably won't help. So tell us about the mojito, Kate. The mojito is a drink that is very sweet and bubbly. So I'm hoping that Laura will like it. Yeah, I like it okay. It could use it could use more bubbles. <laughs> but it, it's fine as is. 
All right, fair enough. Uh, mojito is made out of is made with white rum, traditionally Bacardi, uh, fresh lime juice, sugar slash sugar syrup. You can either use fine grain sugar, you can make your own um, sugar syrup, or you can do the store bought sugar syrup. And mint artisanal leaves. syrup. Art- artisanal syrup. It has to be white rum. God help you if you God use if you use dark you. rum. Then it would basically be like I don't know. There's there's this is also one of those drinks that it's called like it's a mojito now, but if you make it with like tequila instead of rum, it becomes a you know mojito mexicana or and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And well, it's essentially a daiquiri with mint in it. Yeah, it's like if a daiquiri and a mint julep had a baby, although the mint julep isn't as old as the daiquiri. So I don't or the so yeah, it is very similar to to the uh, the daiquiri, which is funny because. The mojito is one of Ernest Hemingway's top two favorite drinks, the other which was the daiquiri. Why is that funny? That would seem mm. believable. It just seems like, I don't know, almost so obvious. Man likes what he likes. <laughs> yeah. In fact, he had uh, mojitos when he was in Cuba in Havana and daiquiris when he was in Key West. So it was mm. kind of a, I guess, you know, you only drink Pims when you go up to England. I, I don't know. He The man liked bullfighting and short sentences. And Cuba. Drinking and Cuba yeah. and rum. So um, the proportions of polydactyl cats. Oh, they're so cute. Who doesn't? That's true. Proportions of ingredients in the mojito are not exact, nor should they be. Mm. Uh, It's a flexible cocktail that can be made as loosely or as rigidly as you would like. So every bartender. All I heard was flexible and loose. Every bartender. I suspect is all Hemingway heard. So every bar bar bartender, every bartender has their own little (laughs) recipe. How do you pronounce it in Spanish? Um, Bartender. Basically, you muddle the mint with the sugar and the simple syrup. And you add ice, rum, soda water, and lime juice to your heart's content. Some people also add bitters, which to cut the sweetness of mm-hmm. this drink. But I think I've got a good ratio. That's why I didn't I didn't use any. I just kind of threw it together. Does it taste yeah. okay? It's fantastic. Yeah, I like it. I can really taste the uh, mint leaves in there, too. My muddling is, is getting better. Yeah, this is another one of those drinks for which there are mixes for no goddamn reason. I remember in high school at a beach trip, someone bought mojito mix and made me a mojito at our beach mm-hmm. trip. And I tried it, and mm-hmm. it was absolutely disgusting. And so I've been put off from mojitos for the longest time. But drinking this, I actually like it. Yeah. I, I I had one at a party in college that was very bad. But I think due to some other circumstances, I was already going to be vomiting that evening. So it's probably not fair to blame it on the mojito. Unlike some cocktails that were made up by a single... Aunt, Aunt Jazzy, that's, that's by way of forgiving you because it was not your fault is that a bar no it's just the girls party that i went to um unlike some cocktails that were made up by you know like one bartender and a fit of creativity like the bronx or the mary pickford the mojito is one that has evolved over the years like the manhattan or you know the old-fashioned um it descended from a drink that was common in cuba called el drake named after sir francis drake supposedly invented in the 1580s when he was sailing around the caribbean and attempting to lay siege to the city of havana it was for, con- for its delicious rum. For its gold. <laughs> there you go. And its golden rum. I, I guess rum wasn't a thing, though, in the 16th no, century. No, it wasn't. Yet. Yeah. So it was uh, conceived as a way to help sick sailors using medicinal methods of local natives, the mint and sugar Hold cane. On, here's where we get to the uh, liquor as medicine part of the oh, show. Oh, yeah. I swear. It's every single drink. The The drink was made of very similar ingredients, sugar cane, instead, mm-hmm. and sugar cane derives sugar instead of, you know, powdered sugar, uh, lime, and a type of rum that's like a proto-rum, mm-hmm. like a pre-rum. Some sort of fermented molasses. Called aguardiente del cano, which means fire water from cane sugar in Spanish. It is still around today. It is differently. There's different types of it per South American country mm-hmm. and Central American country because they all have their own rules. It's basically like rum moonshine. Is it a distilled or, liquor or is it just fermented like a like a booze? Oh, I don't know. I should have. Hmm. It's that like is an interesting it's like uh, you know like Everclear but with rum. Well, 
Yeah, but that doesn't, that's, rum is like, <laughs> rum. Well, it has, most Spanish countries, it has like 55 to 80% alcohol by mm-hmm. volume. So most, actually a lot of it, like there's one that's served and produced in Chile that uh, the upper limits of it have actually been made illegal for people to drink because it's just so, but that's the modern version. But anyway, mm-hmm. so like in terms of- You the, know what else they love in Chile? Mayonnaise. <laughs> what? Chile is the number one, like per capita, number one consumption of mayonnaise. I thought they'd be the the number one consumption of Chile. Boom, boom. No. I'm sorry. Mayonnaise. Seriously, they love mayonnaise. I'm not sorry. (laughs) If you were sorry, you wouldn't do it again. So, over time, the aguardiente was replaced by rum that we know today, Mm -hmm. especially as uh, the rum trade took over in the Caribbean with triangular trade and whatnot. Mm Much like sangria, the lime slash sugar slash everything was added to make the shitty rum more palpable for everybody. Palpable? Palpable. So they could tap it more. Yeah, so they could feel it with their hands. So they could drink and make it tastier. Palatable. Whatever. (laughs) Fine. She came at you for that one. You can research your own cocktails. (laughs) I'm going to go do something else. Don't eat that hot pizza. You'll burn your palpit. Um, So anyways, it was replaced (laughs) this week in Kate Can't Talk. Palpable. Palatable. You know what's funny is I actually wrote palatable in the thing. I know and, you did. And I just read it wrong. So the founding of the Bacardi. So many colors in the artist's palpit. The company, uh, the, fuck you, Josh. The founding of the Bacardi company in the 19th century popularized the mojito. So today that's why, you know, the Bacardi is the traditional rum for the drink. There's a couple other stories. The Francis Drake story is kind of the most common, but it's kind of a mixed bag in general. Like I said, it's a very organic, like, evolved cocktail. So other theories hold that the mojito was created by African slaves in the Caribbean in the late 1800s. African slaves in the Caribbean drank guarapo, which was a sugar cane juice that was used in the early mojitos Mm -hmm. instead of just plain sugar and soda water. How didn't they have soda water by then? They didn't. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's a modern addition. Yeah, because you have to have, like, whoever it was, Joseph Boyle or whoever invented carbonating water. Well, yeah. So they became really popular... In the 1930s and 1940s, with people like Hemingway, who popularized the drink, uh, Bridget Bardot apparently liked them a lot, and uh, Errol Flynn. Again, we get this weird uh, 30s, 20s, 30s scene of uh, movie stars going down to Cuba and and having cocktails happen. Well, it was such a huge vacation spot before mm-hmm. the takeover. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fuck you, communism. The name. <laughs> The name mojito may refer to mojo, which is a Cuban seasoning made with lime, mm-hmm. or mojadito, which is the Spanish word for waterfall. And by that, I mean a little wet. Right. <laughs> may also refer to mojo as a term for placing a little spell from African slaves. A little waterfall spell. Yes. And uh, so, yep. And that's the mojito. Yeah. I'm, I'm liking it quite a bit. With these mint drinks, there's always the issue of what to deal with the uh, soggy foliage that's left in your cup yeah so the recipe one of the recipes i said is or i read was muddle it with the sugar at the bottom and you add the ice and then you add rum and then you add the sugar um the sorry the soda water so that it the mint leaves float to the top as like Mm -hmm. a kind of garnish i don't know yeah i mean it's fine you know you're just picking mint out of your teeth which isn't so fun well mint's good for you remember mint julep supposed to be good for you i'm actually not sure i'm supposed to be eating mint what do you mean because i think it might have oxalates in it from the kidney stones well, you're not. You never it. mentioned it before. What's well, a dark leaf? Well, you're not oh. eating it though. You're just yeah. drinking its juices. True enough on that. Hey, you want to do our movie? Sure. Okay. So Kate and I watch uh, weird or forgotten or bad movies that were occasionally number one during the course of our lives. And I don't pay attention to them or sleep through them. You don't sleep through them. No, you do sleep through them. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. slept through this one. Yeah, you weren't even out here, were you? No, because I was asleep. Yeah. You missed a really special movie. <laughs> What did we watch, Kate? We watched 
airport night or sorry airport 77 right airport apostrophe 77 77. was there an exclamation point at the end of the 77 okay no although there was an exclamation at the end of earthquake exclamation point so it was not uncommon for disaster movies to have an exclamation point an airplane the spoof has the spoof has the okay that's what i'm thinking of you are airport Apostrophe 77 is the third movie in the increasingly more weird and implausible and less <laughs> successful airport series of movies uh, based on a book by somebody or other. Airport, the first one uh, being reasonably successful with Dean Martin and uh, Helen Hayes having won an Oscar for it. And I think Burt Lancaster's in it. Yeah, he is. Um, which actually takes place at an airport, unlike oh. the movie that we watched. Uh, airport 75 was the airport, excuse me, airport 1975 was the sequel uh, to Airport. That one had Charlton Heston and Karen. another whole cavalcade yeah. of stars, Gloria Swanson. No. <laughs> yes. Um, no. Yes. I'm telling you, it's a cavalcade of weird ones. And then this one, uh, when they made this one, they got rid of the, the 19, so it was just Airport, apostrophe 77. 77. Uh, and this one features, uh, this is the third, and then after this there was the Concord Ellipsis Airport Apostrophe 79. It's really convenient for them to put the date of the movie in the title because it just makes it that much easier for people to remember. I mean, that's why don't more movies do that? You know, like Avatar 2000. I think they're going for that sort of timeless quality. <laughs> and the ellipsis is strange. I don't I don't know if I've come across There either. are very few movies that use an ellipsis. I think probably for good reason. First of all, when you're just speaking as a former newspaper editor, when you're like doing listings for movies and stuff, if you don't have people use the actual ellipsis character on your computer, you'll get a you can get line breaks if people use three periods instead of the ellipsis character. Which by the way, hey, for all of you people out there who didn't know your computer can actually make an ellipsis character instead of using three periods, on a Mac it's option colon. Now on, on Windows, I'm sure it's, you know, alt com- control alt one nine four eight or File, whatever. File edit. Because to do weird characters on to do non Unicode oh. characters on Windows, you have to type in these arcane oh. commands. But if you have a Mac, option colon will give you the non breaking ellipsis character, which leads it to not break between lines. Anyhow. Option colon. Sorry. Option colon. Yeah, that's you know what? There should be a movie called Option Colon, but there should be a colon between the word option and the word colon. So it'd be like option colon colon. So it's like about a story about a doctor and like he hold on, he's like trying to smuggle gold out of like it's it, okay, so it takes place in like nineteen ninety one. Okay. The and, Berlin Wall has gone down. Okay. Right? And there's a doctor, he's a little unethical, he's lost his license back in the States, but he's practicing oh. in Eastern Europe. But he realizes the Berlin Wall is coming down and the hospital that he works in has a hidden cache of like gold teeth and jewelry that they've harvested and stolen from patients over the last 50 years. Is this Nazi gold? It's just gold from patients. Because okay. this, you know, it's a communist state, so they take all the gold and say, oh, it's for the people's hospital. So the Berlin Wall is coming down, and Dr. Option, uh, that's where we get Dr. Steve Option, MD, uh, is faced with the option of how's he going to smuggle this gold out of Iron Curtain Russia and get it back to the States, A, before the Russian authorities, or the, the new authorities in whatever country it is, Hungaristan, Bulgaria, find out that he's taking the gold, uh, but B, before the U.S. officials figure out what he's up to and repatriate the gold, mm-hmm. and he decides that he's going to take the colon option, which is he's going to sew it into his own colon. How? 
He's he's got an elaborate scheme uh, where he, you know, it's this Eastern Europe. They've got this all sorts is, of off-book this medicine. Is, this is very human centipede all right, of a sudden. Exactly. So he stores the gold, Dr. Option does, in his colon. So it's it's the the option colon colon option. So where's he going to smuggle it to? China? The West. He wants oh. Or Switzerland, maybe. Yeah. Some state without an extra, some country without an extra. Because he already has treaty. a criminal record in the United States. I don't right. think. Well, no, he just he lost his back. license. He okay. doesn't have a criminal record. He just oh. lost his license. So who's the hero in this movie? Because this doesn't sound like a guy you want to root for. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, there's uh, Pavel Bawilov. <laughs> Is a Russian American uh, Interpol agent who is the only one who believes that Doctor Option is going to smuggle this gold out. Everyone he's else says he's crazy, but Pavel Balilov says no. We've got to get this gold back to the people. It belongs to the people. These people have suffered for too long. They've suffered under communism. They're not going to suffer under unscrupulous people taking advantage of this new crazy world that we live in. But do these people want butt gold? <laughs> Uh, you know, I think uh, if the history of the collapse of Soviet uh, of the Eastern Europe communism has told us anything, it's that uh, people were desperate for money. I think I would take Bud Gold. Would you take Bud Gold? Didn't you say that he was going to sew it into a pocket and then put the pocket in his butt? Wait, no, it's, he's got like a pocket in his colon, like Say, a, no, like like a chipmunk you know, with your mouth. Better yet, like, like, he's been doing it over ten years. He's been doing slowly, like he's been slowly doing surgery on himself and letting it heal, doing surgery and letting it heal, so that he has developed on this pocket that just looks like if he was going through the x-rays in the airport it would just look like like maybe like yeah like or maybe he had poop right but it's actually this cache of stolen eastern european gold that dr option is bringing out in his colon this is a movie that would make me want to puke i would have to leave the room It just I, sounds like a horror movie to me. It sounds like a wonderful horror movie. Anyhow, how do we well, get to Dr. That's Option what I was gold? saying. It could be Nazi gold that he's smuggling out, and then he has ghosts chasing him. Maybe that's it. Maybe he discovered that the hospital, when the Russians had been... It's, it could be in East Germany. That's it. Ooh, that's a good idea. It could be in East Germany. And it was a center for Right, and when the Russians took over... Right, the Russians took... It, it were marching into Germany in the last days of the war. Mm-hmm. They hid all of the gold that they had nefariously stolen from patients in the, the like in the sub basement of this hospital. And Doctor Option, for whatever reason, like he wanted to go down there to yeah, I don't know smoke American cigarettes, and those were regarded as counter revolutionary or something. Like he discovered it at some point in the past. Well, maybe, the and person, that's when the, he came up with the colon option. Yeah. Well, the first maybe the only person who the last person who knew where it was buried like got killed off by like. Uh, a secret like Da Vinci Code kind of thing where he was uh, murdered and said so then Dr. Option doesn't know that's there and everyone's forgotten. Ooh, that's true and then you know he what can I mean? be like th- th- that's we raise the stakes forgotten. there's somebody else coming after him. Yeah except for So there's Pavel Bawilov yeah. there's there's the 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 last gasp of the East German secret Resist- police yes. coming after him. Yes. And there's this guy who's an old, grizzled, former resistance to the Nazi. And he's the only one who knew where it was. And he's the one who saw them kill his family and take that gold. And he wants to kill him and take it because he's like, you're an opportunist. You're going to take So who's going to get it? Who's going to get Is he going to get free? Is it going to be Pavel Bauloff? Is it going to be the, St- the East German a secret police, or is it going to be this guy who used to be in the East German? It is a mystery with so many players. I hope it's the East German. Yeah, I, I think in the end we're going to be rooting for him. I'm casting Gary Oldman in this movie right now. I want him to be Dr. Paolo. Dr. Paolo? No. His Pavel Bauloff. Pavel Bauloff. Really? He'd be really right. good. Because he does wonderful accents. 
So Airport 77 oh, right. was the movie that we watched. Not this fake one you just made. No, out. we did not watch strangely, Option Colon. Strangely colon. enough, Option Colon Colon sounds like a much better movie than Airport 77. <laughs> and that doesn't need study. We've only described the plot. Option Colon. The Option Colon Option. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so Airport 77. So Airport 77, which does not have... Well, it does have at least two ancient colons in it, if you count... <laughs> Olivia de Havilland and Joseph Cotton and and Jimmy Jimmy Stewart. Stewart. However, it's the third of the series. And like the other ones, it features a buffet of Hollywood Golden Age stars wedded to bright and somewhat less bright stars of the mid-1970s. There's, And I'm going to miss several names already while we do this. But uh, Jack Lemmon plays a pilot of the airplane. His co-pilot is played by a young Robert Foxworth. He has a love interest in the form of stewardess Brenda Vaccaro. And they were still called stewardesses at this point. Uh, let's see. A nefarious plotter against him, played by uh, Monty Markham, who you may remember from several episodes of The Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, Hammer, Fi- Hammer Films horror superstar Christopher Lee is in it. Mm-hmm. His wife is played by a young and lovely Lee Grant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned Joseph Cotton and Olivia de Havilland and from, Jimmy, and Jimmy, and Jimmy Stewart, Stewart uh, from uh, Screen's Golden Ages. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh. M. Emmett Walsh. Kathleen Quinlan. Jimmy. Uh, uh, Gil Gerard, TV's Buck Rogers. The guy with the V-neck. Oh, and George Kennedy, who George is in all Kennedy. four exactly. of the movies. So. He's, the, he's the common link, if you will between uh, all of the movies he's like the uh he's the um what the hell is the name of the pixar pizza company that's in all their movies shit yeah the delivery van that's um... uh, pizza planet he's the pizza planet that links all of the airport movies so that you know they're together. all taking place in the same in the time same time airport averse yes so jimmy stewart is the head of an aviation company who is also an art collector he is flying a various and sundry collection of folks out to an auction to be held at his palatial florida estate yeah i think of his auction of his art that he wants to give to charity when he passes into the next world that's why all these people are on the plane the plane is a new model airplane which is unlike any airplane i have ever saw and much more as ever saw which is unlike any airplane i've ever seen and much more akin to a luxury yacht or a train that harkens back to the days of elegant cross-country train travel than it is an actual commercial airplane. It's got bedrooms and office suites and lounge chairs and a and, bar, yeah, a piano. Like the main set is like this lounge area where all the characters are chilling out. And it looks very much like anything from like an affair to remember or like anything else that took Except place if, on a cruise ship. Except if it took ship. place in the 70s. But you know what I mean? Like it's just very like palatial. Like, right. It looks like the cl- Honestly, it looks like the club car of a really classy 70s train. Uh, and you know that it's from the future because they have such high-tech amenities as a laser disc player mm-hmm. and a leather-bound table uh, that has a pong machine in it with sort of brass pong dials that the kids play pong on. That is amazing. I know. That is the thing that I'm going to take away from this movie is that fucking pong table. Like, if I... <laughs> I want to know, like, you know that that pong table exists somewhere in this world. No, right, really? Like, you mean, seriously. like, the one from the movie? From or the like, movie, from yeah. the set. Yeah. That there is this pong arcade table. It was, like, leather-bound, the whole thing, like, bound in leather and little brass dials. You know, you pay pong with the two stupid dials, right? And it was a, a, a pong table. They had drinks, and they had, and the, 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 a whole, the whole thing had, like, bartenders and a tent. It was a, like, I can't foresee any circumstance in which this would be a commercially viable airplane. Well, I got the impression that it was basically like a cruise ship. Yeah. You know, like it was like a plane that people would only take that were really wealthy. Right. And that plays into (laughs) 
<laughs> the rest of this movie, which basically is just the Poseidon adventure, yeah. but like different. Because turns out Robert Foxworth, co-pilot of Jack Lemmon, is in league with art thief Monty Barkham to... Uh, steal all of the many priceless valuable works of art like a Rembrandt and such that are on this plane being transported from New York I guess or Los Angeles I guess Los Angeles to Florida and the plan that they have is to hijack the plane land it on a uncharted isle in the Caribbean while gassing everyone on board with knockout gas and taking the art getting off the plane and then everyone on board would find themselves on an uncharted isle in the middle of the Caribbean and missing the art. So that's their plan. However. However. So they gas everybody uh, on the plane. And we've, we've been introduced by this point to the crowd of characters. Christopher Lee is sort of a uh, mild-mannered executive whose drunk wife, Lee Grant, shames him at every opportunity. Uh, Olivia de Havilland is a patron of the arts who is somewhat upset with another passenger who is an art critic. But she's also a saucy old broad who plays poker and such. Joseph Cotton is another art collector, I believe. Uh, error. Something like he's that. He's a third. Yeah, his his name's name like, yeah. Something, something, Thurgood yeah. the third. yeah. Marshall Chaddington, the Richie Rich, the third. And there, a couple of Jimmy Stewart's uh, grandchildren or his granddaughter and great-grandchild are on the plane or some such. Uh, so by this point, we've been instructed as to who everyone is. So the, once we meet everyone and everyone has had some drinks and played a little Pong, uh, watched a laser disc of Jimmy Stewart on the big screen, listened to the blind piano player sing a song, which is the... I'm assuming love theme from Airport 77. They pump the knockout gas into the air conditioning. Everybody knock, falls over, knocked out, except for Robert Foxworth and Monty Markham, who then proceed. And one one more Confederate, right? There's one more, but he yeah. dies pretty quickly. He dies pretty quickly. I think he dies in the crash. Yeah, he does. I think he dies in the crash. So, spoilers. Spoilers. There's, there's, there's a there's, crash. There's a crash in an airplane. So they're I'm going, sorry, airport. <laughs> in attempting to pilot the plane toward their uncharted desert isle, Robert Foxworth, I think, takes a bank too hard and the plane loses control of the plane and the plane has the unlikely event of a water landing they crash they crash and begin to sink to the bottom of the very shallow ocean because they're in the bermuda triangle oh yeah so everyone wakes up from the knockout gas rather briskly i might add uh, which was one of the things I didn't get about this. So everyone wakes up and they're sort of like trying to figure out what what has happened. By this point, I think at least two of the art thieves are dead. Yeah, and then uh, the pilot dies like in the crash Robert Foxworth too. dies yeah. later. But this but, was one of the things that I thought was weird about this. So their plot was to gas everybody and then take off, take the art and then take off. So you would have to have like a pretty good window to gas everybody, fly the plane to the uncharted desert island. Land the plane on the Uncharted Desert Island, take all the art off, get the art to your other plane, and take off and leave before anybody wakes up. So you'd have to have a pretty big window of time there, right? But the minute that they lose control of the plane, everybody in the plane is, like, waking up. You know, maybe it was the impact of the plane. I don't know. I don't think impact works like that on anesthesia. I also, I also don't think the point of the movie was almost just like a MacGuffin to make yeah. the plane crash and be stranded. Yeah, I was going to say the point of them waking up so early was... Uh, Lazy storytelling. Yes. Well, there's quite a bit of that. So so they've crashed, and uh, the various crooks are taken care of in one method or another. And Jack Lemmon and his resplendent mustache and Brenda Vaccaro, uh, his uh, fa- trusty right arm, sort of start to take charge of the situation. M. Emmett Walsh is also a veterinarian who is pretending to be a doctor because he doesn't want to tell people that he's not a real live doctor. I think he does, though, He eventually. tells one person. I think oh. he tells Kathleen Quinlan. Uh, that he's, oh, yeah, because there's a sick child, a right. child who has, like, right. some there's terminal disease. Child. That... There are any number of sort of 
artificially induced ticking clocks. Raising the stakes. Right, exactly. Uh, and and water starts to leak in at various points of the plane. Oh, yeah. So Jack Lemon and Christopher Lee mm-hmm. decide to leave the craft to go to the surface and signal for help, I believe, because they've heard planes circling over. Uh, looking for them, and one flies over and then leaves. Some kind of thing where, like, Jack Lemon is like, well, you know, they had our tracking device, and they'll find us. We just have to go up there, and right. it's like a suicide mission. No one wants to go. So Christopher Lee Except says, Christopher I'm a scuba Lee, expert. Who says, wait a minute. And he's established it at one point before through nothing, like, just a random comment, like, Lee, Lee Grant is wandering around drunk, and he's like, I'd much rather be scuba diving right now, or something like incredible. Right, something incredibly uh, ham-handed exposition-y as that. And so Jack Lemon and scuba expert uh, Christopher Lee decide that they are going to leave the craft in with the two tanks, right? There's two scuba tanks yeah. to go to the surface and blah, blah, blah. And a raft and right. like a So a, then a the minute run. they leave the fucking craft, Christopher Lee dies. Yeah, like, like I the got hatch up, blows, and he dies in the hatch bolt when the I, hatch. Pops I got up off. to pee during this sequence. I came back and Christopher Lee was dead. <laughs> like I got up and like I I I went. I I peed. I came back, and then all of a sudden, Jack Lemmon's like shaking Christopher Lee's body underwater, being like, oh, and then it's like, oh, it was shit, just totally like weird because like the character and his arc totally die and go nowhere because Lee Grant then dies at the end of the on, on the on the craft, right? Uh, but it's his like arc that, goes nowhere. It's like that part in the Poseidon Adventure, sorry, where you know the chick who is uh, Born Nine's wife, mm-hmm. she dies in the last like two seconds for no real reason, except the fact oh, she Oh, yeah, just, the one who used to be a prostitute. The one that's in the shirt and she just goes, ah! Her defining character trait is, I used to be a prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so back to this movie. <laughs> so at this point, this was when Kate and I both started losing interest in the movie. <laughs> Very much so. But basically, the United States Navy comes out uh, with Jimmy Stewart, for some reason, needing to be on the scene, sitting on the Navy rescue boat. And through a series well, Josh, of- Josh, that's my daughter down there. I can't. Every impression you do is fucking Catherine Hepburn or Peter of or Paul Lind. We've or talked about some this. combination of both. Yeah, like don't even. It, what you need to do is what? What would it be if Catherine Hepburn were having sex with Paul Lind? And the answer is we would live in an alternate reality because that would never happen. Because that would be a lesbian fucking the world's gayest man. I'm gonna think about. Except that she wasn't really a lesbian because she loves Spencer so much, <laughs> darling. Course, I have a knife. You have a knife. It's eleven eighty-five. It's your one Catherine Hepburn line. You're my knight in shining queen? Yes, have I you have. seen Philadelphia Story? You've got one I've line from one African movie. I've seen the African Queen, and she's just kind of a bitch. In the okay, African queen. you're saying, Laura? I threw out all the gin. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, Laura, go ahead. So uh, then, so Lee Grant dies under circumstances. Uh, the somebody the blind guy gets pressed by his piano up against the wall in the crash. Who lives? Joseph Cotton and Olivia had to have him live. Uh, the, kid, you know. the the grandkid and the daughter of Jimmy yeah, Stewart right. live. Yeah. And the sick girl lives. Right. And M.M. Walsh, Walsh lives, lives surprisingly. Randomly. Uh, Brenda Vaccaro and Jack Lemmon live. Anyhow, so you know what was weird is uh, Jack, uh, I mean, uh, Joseph Cotton is just kind of like staggering through this movie. Uh, he really looks kind of like dazed. Um, I didn't think so. It, it to me, I think he was right on keel with Olivia to have one for me. I just think he had less to do. No, I think he, it seemed like he might have had a stroke or something before it. Like he was talking really weird. Like, here's what it looked like. So when I was a kid, um, and my dog was really young, and I didn't know that dogs were super tough and could take a lot of abuse. Not that I would abuse my dog. But, yeah. I mean, just dogs are tough. So go on. So the first dog that I had, and this was the first pet that we ever had. Was it was on a you know we had it had a run out in the yard. Right. Where, you know, like in the afternoons and stuff, if mom and dad weren't home, but the dog had been inside all day. You go and you put the dog out on the run. So the dog got poop and run around and get some, you know, get its shit out. Literally. 
so Maddie was not like a super high energy dog, but she did like to go out and poop. So put her out on the run and she's out in the yard and she would just sort of like go out into the front yard and like stand, you know, like a medium sized dog will do. It's like they won't lay down. They won't fall asleep. They just kind of like stand there. And like I would sit on the porch every every so often. They just like look back at you on the porch. <laughs> like, what am I doing? Am I here? I don't I'm not. We're not playing. We're not like there's no chasing. And I kind of got a leash on, but it's not really a leash. But I'm not, what am I doing? So she would literally just stand there and sort of like, in one spot, just pivot her head around and like look at shit. Are you so, comparing screen legend Joseph Cotton to I'm a dog? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So Maddie, who was a wonderful dog, like Joseph Cotton is a wonderful human, was, would just sort of stand there in the front yard. And um, so sometimes I would be bored and I would be sitting there waiting for the mailman to come because I would have a package or some other coming in the mail that I really wanted to get. Yeah, like a Dakota ring that you ordered from right. the Right, or like the of... fucking Ultima 4, which I ordered and it took a year and a half to arrive and I was going to pay for it cash on delivery and I had to sit there with $60 in my hand every day waiting for the postman to show up because I didn't know when he was going to come with the stupid COD package. Well, that taught you delayed gratification though. No, it taught me to wait for Steam so I could buy video games without having to wait for a fucking postal worker. Yeah. But I'm sitting there on the... And didn't you love that Ultima 4? Oh, I do love Ultima 4. It's a wonderful game. So I'm sitting there on the front porch waiting for the postman one day, and I'm just like, we were, there was construction at our house, and I'm tossing gravel, like, out into the yard. It's like, you know, you're killing time. It's like this big pile of blue slate gravel sitting up next to the porch, because we it was going to be used to as sort of sub-foundation for the, we're doing a brick walkway. So I'm just tossing the gravel out and tossing gravel out and tossing gravel and And Maddie's just standing there out in the front yard. Feet planted in the dust. Being a beagle. Head Right. Head pivoting around, just looking at stupid shit. And I'm throwing gravel well away from her. And then I throw this one really high arc piece of gravel. This one really high arc piece of gravel. And out of nowhere, Maddie, like, starts running. And she's, I realize she's running toward the spot, ground zero, where this piece of gravel is eventually going to make impact after its 10-yard parabolic arc through my yard. Okay, so she does. She like sort of trots over and lo and behold, right on the noggin. This little piece of gravel hits my dog on the on the noggin, right on the noggin. And she just she just looks right back at me with that like, the fuck? (laughs) The fuck is going on here? I come out in this yard every day and stand in one spot and I never get rained on by gravel. And what the fuck did you do today? That is what Joseph Cotton looked like in this movie. It's just like every scene, he's just like, I was in Citizen Kane. What the fuck? He does kind of give, like, he does do the same thing where he, like, looks to Olivia to have one, like, like Shadow of the Doubt. There's a leather pong machine. My world is confusing. I like that he, like, looks at Olivia to Havland a lot and being like, are you here too? Are we yeah. in this movie together? <laughs> Let's hold on to each other. Did I fuck you or Joan Fontaine? I can't remember. Oh, boo. <laughs> boo. <laughs> Anyhow, so that's Airport 77. What do you think? Um, uh, I, I, it was, ooh. So I, I think Josh left out this point. So the plane sinks. Jack Lemmon, like, goes up to the surface, has a flare gun, shoots it off, gets the attention of the authorities, and then they have to stage, like, this rescue mission to get the plane out by, like, dragging it up with, like, hooks on a battleship. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have a point. I just... Yeah, that's I, why I was, didn't mention it. It, it was, was like it was this just, boring part of the movie where there's like various pieces of metal in intermediate and uh, later stages of submersion until finally there is one that is not submerged. And all of a sudden there's a bunch of people on a raft and Lee Grant is dead. Yeah. So that's basically what happened to me. I already mentioned 
I was most interested in Christopher Lee, and then I went up to pee, and I came back, and he was dead. And then after that, I started reading up on the Joan Fontaine, Olivia de Havilland feud. Because um, you didn't believe like, me that they hated each I other. I believed you, but I didn't know it was that intense. Oh, yeah, it was vicious. They, like, hated each like, other to the day birth, that like, they died. Olivia de Havilland's still alive, right? Yeah, she's, she? still, she's yeah. still alive. Joan, Joan Fontaine, Fontaine died last Christmas. Last year, and Olivia de Havilland just didn't go to her funeral. <laughs> Well, These are 90-year-old women, sisters, who hated each other. Apparently, they've hated each other since they were born. They're like, twins, right? No, no, no. They're like... Okay, because they look they're like, they're like exactly a year the same. Yeah, so, and, and, you know, for me, Olivia de Havilland is the sweet, like, Melly and Gone with the Wind. Like, oh, Ashley. Yeah, no, apparently Ashley. she was the horrible one. And apparently, she's just a grand old bitch, so... <laughs> Seeing her yeah. in this movie, I was amazed also by her star power. Like she still had oh, this yeah. like very like absolutely like, like totally the screen loves her like golden legitimately. age kind of like charisma about her, especially when she's talking to Joseph Cotton. Well, and she just like yeah, every scene she does, she comes in and she's big in, and you know she's a big she's like an Ethel Merman but of movies. Yeah, you know. Whereas I- Joseph Cotton again. What the? I don't. It's raining gravel in this movie. <laughs> I guess the mo- one thing that I was confounded by, and Josh, you can back me up here, is that apparently Jack Lemon had a mustache. Yeah. Like, yeah. I saw it and I was like, for a good five this seconds. This is right before mustaches turned gay. Like, so I saw it and I was like, oh, this that's a, an actor. Yeah, it's, a and then Josh, it's a Burt Reynolds mustache. Right. Josh said yeah. something like, oh, hey, it's Jack Lemon. I was like, that's not Jack. <gasps> Holy shit, it's Jack yeah. Lemmon. Yeah. And also something that I didn't know before, apparently he's straight. Yeah. Jack Lemmon is straight. Where did you get a, you, like, you have the worst gaydar ever if you think Jack Lemmon was, he uh, gives no gay vibe at all. M- mustache, okay. Well, is Burt Reynolds theater. gay? Theater. Is Tom Selleck gay? Theater work. Major theater work. Uh, you're, you're really, bu- you, it's not raining gravel in here, is it? Also, Kevin Spacey loves Jack Lemmon. So oh. I guess kind of, I don't know, I don't know. Josh, I don't know. Let's make another round. Okay. And and mustaches don't turn gay. I mean, you don't turn gay. No, I mean the mustache itself. It doesn't make people gay. Just mustaches became like it's like you know it's like it's like leather jackets right. and cut off short. Like bike, it's like wearing biker gear. It was a joke. You, you're a joke. No, your face is a joke. Okay, let's get more drinks. All right. Warts. Oh. I'm not ashamed. You can talk about my planner warts all you want. Very real problem. Yeah, I used to have them when I was a swimmer. Because you get them in the swimming pool. I Well, you know that I like to walk around barefoot outside. So which is disgusting. Which is probably course. where mine came from. Yeah. God, TV's winding down, too. We had Hannibal. That was that ended. Yep. By the way, read, uh, read Kate's Hannibal blog at jasonedwards.com.com. Mm-hmm. And had uh, the wonderful Mad Men half season finale. Which don't get me started on mid half seasons. I think we talked about it on the we show did. before. We talked about it. Yeah. Show. Vampire Diaries is gone. Drat. Community is gone. I know. Community is gone probably forever. Probably forever. It might get picked up by Netflix or something. And well, a movie. You'll have to content yourself with the two hours a week that Dan Harmon rants into a microphone and puts it on the internet. You should yeah, start okay. a, I'm sure, well, actually, I was going to say you should start one, but there probably is already one, a Kickstarter to get a community right. movie. I'm making a Kickstart for a bunch of people who are rich. I wasn't Fuck talking to you, shit. I was talking to Laura. Laura's going to do our recommendations this week, oh, by okay. the way. She's taking recommendations off our hands. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. There was that. There was the Paw Patrol uh, finale, which was oh, crazy. Oh, my God. It was crazy. So, uh, do you want to go and do it, or do you want me? No, you... You do it. I'll chime in. So the the Paw Patrol finale, it started off, it was just like a regular day at work for uh, Paw Patrol. And he's out in the, the yard where they got some loading, like uh, loading 
forklifts and stuff yeah. over at the Troll Authority. They're moving machinery around. You know, one of the like one. I think he told Victor Von Tusk that one of the machines was going to have a malfunction or yeah, something. He said it was scheduled for maintenance, right. and Victor Von Tusk was like duly noted. But you knew that he was like right. Not. So then he's yelling at Victor Von Tusk across the yard. He yells, "I told you this would happen." I tried, but then right when it ha- when he yells it. Victor Von Tusk is distracted because Paw Patrol is yelling at him, yeah. and he gets hit by another loading vehicle. So it's sort of a real downbeat note. Yeah, I so was... Paw Patrol feels guilty that his catchphrase caused Victor Von Tusk to go to the hospital, which is you know serious business. Yeah, especially if he's your boss. Like, but also they totally like. Anyhow, so we're at the hospital, and there's a lot of like you know past guest stars show up. Popper came in to sort of comfort because you know he had worked. There's that one episode like three three Christmases ago, something where he had worked uh, at the Troll Authority for one week, yeah, uh, and got really gotten along with Victor Von Tusk, yeah. but then he didn't feel like it was fair to Paw Patrol because like he shouldn't be better friends with his boss than he is. Yeah, and, and like there's that thing where Sally Sally Sprite's having like a you know bake sale outside of the hospital to right, raise money which for very the, sweet for the town hall. Right, and so that was cute, and it was like a nice callback. It's like any any series finale or like a hundred right. episode where they just bring in all the guest stars, but it worked. It, it worked pretty well. But so anyhow, so Victor's in the coma, uh, and they finally say he needs a kidney uh, in order to make it out of this coma. Really? Yeah. Oh. I don't know how fucking troll science works. Okay. You act like I'm an expert. They uh, so they I say, kidneys. and they sort of start doing screening, and everybody's like, "I'll volunteer to see if I'm a match." And that's why some of these stars came from came in. They're like, "Am I a match? Am I a match?" Because they, you know, it, it was and it was sweet because Victor Von Tusk's wife, who we've never seen, he always complained about her at home, yeah. like, and they, they always just called her Mrs. Tusk because Mrs. Tusk is called like Mrs. Tusk won't let me do that. Yeah. We finally got to meet her, mm-hmm. which I thought was you know really sweet. It was a guest guest appearance. Uh, by Rene Russo mm-hmm. as uh, as his wife. And then, so they all try and do matches and none of us a match, but then the doctor, we're like three, two, three minutes left in the episode and they're like, we finally found a match for Victor Von Tusk. So we know it's going to be Clevanger, right? So and like, gonna... I spent this whole episode thinking that like they were going to let him die. Like, right. I really thought well, that was Well, there had been all that talk happen. in the past about how like uh, Terrence Stamp was going to leave the show. Or... Exactly. So they said, we found a match and in fact, it's this uh, uh Kid who's been in the hospital mm-hmm. for two months in a persistent vegetative state. Nobody knows who he is. He didn't have any papers on him, any identification when he came into the hospital. We don't. N- nobody knows who he is. Um, but he's a match. But we got to find some family, and we've got to find out who it is. So uh, Papa and Susie go up to like see who it is, or to thank you know to try and find family and to, to see something. And it's. It's Zach Ork. It turns out that Zach Ork was uh, Victor Von Tusk's illegitimate mm-hmm. uh, half son. Whoa! Yes, and that boom. There's our cliffhanger. And that's and just there's credits just... roll right then, huh? Right yeah. then. Well, there's so many, and the, you know, they had a little bit where it's like Paw Patrol will be back next year, and blah 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 blah. And I don't know how I feel about Paw this Patrol reveal. will return in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, I don't know how I, I feel about this reveal though. I, you know, we, we were introduced to Von Tusk's wife, mm-hmm. and then. Well, they're clearly not going to have Rene Russo in every episode. I know, but, you know, it was finally established that they had this really cute relationship, kind of begrudging, but, like, you know, they've been married for a long time, and apparently Victor Von Tusk has been cheating on her we don't with know an that. orc. We don't know that. There could have been a period in their marriage when they were having a tough time. It could be from before their marriage. I don't know. You know, we don't know. He could have been a sperm donor. Well, why is Victor Von Tusk spanking it in a sperm bank? You know, it could be some sort of wacky thing like he thinks he's an alpha orc and wants to spread his seed throughout the world. But Victor Von Tusk isn't an orc. I mean, alpha troll. Yeah, I was going to say. All right. Well, then how did you get the surname orc from Well, he probably was adopted. 
I mean, he's probably like a half right. orc. I don't know. It's he's a half troll, you mean? Half troll, half orc. Yeah, half troll, yeah. half orc. It's but they're very th- similar, so well, it's, it's like you could probably, you know, it is not unknown for trolls to pass and for orcs to pass. I was going to say, it's better than being like half orc, half ogre, because then it's... Well, that's just sick. There's a lot of genetic issues there. Yeah. yeah. So what else is going on? We didn't have any letters to the editor this week. As always, we really want to hear from you, so please yes. send us some letters to the editor. You can reach us at pntcast at gmail.com. We're on the internet at pntcast.wordpress.com. We're on Tumblr at pntcast.tumblr. Dot com. Where else are we? We're on iTunes and Stitcher, so yep. write us a review, please, seriously. We got some new reviews last week, and if I could remember the names of the people, I would thank them. They're wonderful people. So It's really appreciated. Really, we do. Thank you immensely. It is the only reward we get. We are paid in the currency of your love. I'd also like to add that if anybody has any suggestions for drinks, hit us up. Yep. I'm happy to do them. So this week, like many another week, unfortunately, we don't have a letter to the editor to read. So I'm going to be reading a letter to to a different publication. I over-explain this. We explain our bits too much. <laughs> okay, so the only explanation or setup that this, uh, that this letter requires is that it is apparently a letter in regard to a previous letter to this publication by the oh. same author. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, it's from the Nunatsiaq News in Nunavut in Canada, the Canadian uh, province of Nunavut. Uh, isn't that where they filmed the ice road truckers? I don't know. Is it Nunavut? I'm pretty sure it was. Like it's the a first big season. province, you know. It's huge. Well, I mean, isn't it all ice? Yeah, I think it was Yukon where they filmed it, but they might have gone into Nunavut. Well, there's so many parts. Like aside from Prince Edward Isle, like all the provinces in Canada are basically just sure, like giant you know, Wisconsin, of Wyoming. They're all the same. Exactly. You're fucking so racist against Canadians. I'm, I'm just saying, why else would I know the word Nunavut if not for ice road truckers? Because it's it sounds huge. A lot like Nunavut. Because it's like the size of all of the U.S. east of the Mississippi put together. Meh. All I'm saying is that's where the first season of Ice Road Truckers is. And you know, the I'm great saying... thing about Ice Road Truckers is that you can sing the theme to Cat Scratch Fever, and that's all I do. Like, I know it had a theme song, but really, the theme song to Ice Road Truckers in my head is just Ice Road Truckers. Driving ro- on some ro- ice. Ice Road Truckers. Anyhow, so this anyway. is it's a letter from the Nunatsiak News uh, in Nunatsiak, Nunavut, and the letter goes as follows. The headline of the letter is Iqualuit, Iqualuit, I think Iqualuit Hockey Parent Apologizes to Rankin Inlet for Letter. Please remove this letter and without my name express my apologies. It turns out the spitting part may have been falsely represented in an explanation to me. It was said after that the spitting over the glass may not have been directed at the players. My apologies to Rankin and Rankin Hockey Operations for this false representation. Name withheld by request of Ikluit. So there you go. So I just kind of want to know what letter she's. I know, right? It's like a super mystery. Well, no, it's a letter like she had said something nasty about people spitting, and then uh, apparently the spitting was misdirected. Well, spitting is pretty nasty. Yeah. It's hard for me that you could like turn it around. It's like, sorry, I wasn't actually spitting at you. I was spitting at her. Like what? You're yeah. still spitting. Yeah. yeah. And it has to do with hockey. I guess. Yeah, I think it's like a, t- a t- high school hockey thing. I've never understood why parents get so involved in kids' uh, sports. Dude, when I was in high school, there was a, ki- a guy, and I'm not going to name names because this guy is actually you know, someone people might know, but uh, his, he was, he's a big business executive in town, or was at time. Like big and prominent. One of the ten most prominent people in town. 
should say. And his kid was in my class in high school and was on the basketball team. And the kid wasn't like a superstar on the basketball team. He was like, you know, seven deep on the bench or something. He would yeah. play, but didn't play a lot. Uh, but the guy showed up for every game. And he would was like the most vocal fan constantly. Yeah, but do this, play hard. And like standing up at like constantly when and would go on the road to games. But here's the thing. Um, so the way that they did it was the varsity boys team, when they played, the JV girls team would play at the same event. So it would be okay. like, so it was like the varsity girls would have the JV boys play with them, and the varsity boys would have the JV girls play at their same yeah. events. So before the varsity boys games, there'd be a JV girls game. Okay. So A, high school girls, B, JV high school girls. So it's not, you know, it might not be the same kind of basketball that you would see from a top flight high school boys program, right? Of course. So, and, and like 14, 15 year old girls. Yeah. Okay. Because JV, they're going to be freshmen. Mostly. Yeah. It's okay. 15, 16. Yeah, 15, 16. Okay. This guy, the opposing team, he would just like, you fat butted loser whore. Like just the most nasty invective toward these 15 year old girls playing basketball. And this guy was like a prominent citizen in my town. It just, it always pissed me off because this is a guy like nobody ever called him on it because he was really? like, yeah, it was really nasty. And his kid was so embarrassed. You could see him like just sitting there with his head in his hands on the bench while his father was either yelling, you know, or like getting ready in the sweats or something like that. Just incredibly embarrassed by his father. That's yeah. a new like level of embarrassment though. Yeah. Listen, I've just seen people who are generally that invested in children's sports games. It's like, what else are you doing with your life no. that you're going to be like, it is the end of my life if Bobby loses his junior no, varsity, no, no. Like whatever. Physically insulting and that is really the opponent disturbing. JV girls That teams. is really disturbing. It just was disgusting. Yeah, no one called him on it. No, no. I, I can't remember anyone ever calling him on it. It was disgusting. What well, a, maybe at least he raised a kid that thought that was terrible. He did raise a pretty good kid, as far as I knew. He, he was in most of my classes and 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 seemed like a pretty good kid. So, But also universally regarded as everybody I ever talked to elsewhere about him, like all over the state when I would talk to people about, yeah, that guy's an asshole. So. Yeah. Not so. an excuse, though. No, not an excuse. Yeah. He's still rich. Yeah, well... I don't know. I take perverse pleasure in scolding people in public when they're being particularly awful. Yeah. I don't, I don't take pleasure, but it's like, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to do it. Anyhow, so uh, in lieu of Kate and I having recommendations for you this week, I think Laura's got three full records. So that's one Holy for each of us. Holy shit. Yeah. So my first recommendation would be for a book that I'm reading right now. It is called The Tale of the Dueling Neurosurgeons by Sam Keen, K-E-A-N. And he's had two other science books previously, one about the table of elements and one about DNA. But this one deals with the brain and the weird things that the brain does and accidents that happen to people and what happens to them afterwards and stories about the scientists. That, it's kind of uh, like an Oliver Sacks type book. But uh, I've enjoyed his other books, and I am also enjoying this one. It sounds kind of similar to Mary Roach. I don't know. It sounds good. Like, Laura and I were talking about cannibalism earlier, and it was seemed... I mean, I might want to borrow it from you when you're done. I don't know. Yeah, I uh, I know you've mentioned Kuru on the show, mm -hmm. and there's a whole chapter on Kuru in the book hey, that I just finished. Don't eat brains. Don't eat brains. Uh, my next recommendation was for FTL Faster Than Light, which is a video game uh, available through is this Steam. On your, is this on the Atari? Yes, on the is Atari that, and on Steam and on your iPad. Is that FTL colon? 
faster than light? I think it might be. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, and it's just, it's a fun. It's not the sequel to Operation Colon. Simple. Okay, so first of all, it's Option Colon. <laughs> the Option Colon. Okay, sorry, option. sorry. Laura, so FTL. It is a fun, s- simple game. Uh, you know, not a lot of memory involved or anything, but also very difficult where you are piloting a spaceship trying to keep ahead of the rebel rebel fleet uh, as you move across the maps. And it's fun, and there's lots of different randomized encounters that you come across that can be solved different ways if you have different equipment or different kinds of crew, and the combat is interesting. So it seems sort of like a space resource management sim type thing. I, I guess kind of. I die a lot. There's a lot of dying. But for you to keep playing a game where you die a lot says a lot for the game because yeah. you don't deal with high frustration levels. No, well. I don't. I'm still playing on easy, but I also I haven't won yet. But okay. I'm still enjoying it. So that is for Windows and Mac and iPad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what's your third recommendation? Uh, my fir- third recommendation is for Chikara, which is a, a love of my wife's life. A uh, pro wrestling federation company, whatever you want to call it. Promotion. Uh, It's an indie promotion where guys dressed like ants wrestle guys dressed like ice cream cones. So it is... uh, Or masked baseball players. Or masked baseball players. So it's right up my alley. It's a lot of fun. They're silly. They're also very into uh, not breaking kayfabe or, you know, not uh, not breaking the fourth wall and continuing their story over years and years. And being family friendly. And being family friendly. I've heard it called Wrestling for Hipsters and Kids. And that is chikarapro.com, C-H-I-K-A-R-A. And I think that it's great, and I really enjoy it. So, Gavin Loudspeaker, if you're listening, you should come on the show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, everybody enjoy the mojitos? I did. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That was a good one. I think this one's going to go on our year-end best list, I think. Are you? Oh, you mean like when we do our 100th episode? Or Or when we do our anniversary show. Oh. Which is, what, two weeks? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, it can hear by the sound coming through the walls that <laughs> it's probably time to say goodbye. As always, I've really enjoyed spending time with you, and thank you for spending time with us, and we hope you will do it again next week. Thank you for listening. There's no going back. <laughs> 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 <laughs>